Praise the Lord. The Bible says in one place, sometimes his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Did you catch that? It's not what it says, is it? At all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Do you love him tonight? Are you filled with praise in your heart and life this evening for what the Lord has done for you, for what he's doing, and for what he's going to do? The writer of Hebrews says about our Lord and Savior that he is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. This old world changes, but he never changes. Amen? And aren't you glad he does it? Amen. I uh, <clears throat> have enjoyed the uh, series that we've been in on Power Up, you know, living the Spirit-filled life, the messages on Sunday mornings, the classes on Wednesday night. I believe they've been uh, enriching to our lives. And uh, I trust that you have uh, gained some knowledge in this area of the Holy Spirit, maybe learn some things that you didn't know, because even I do that. I mean, you know, we all do that. Uh, we never get too old that we can't learn something new, and we never study the Scriptures that something new doesn't come out. I mean, we've read it over and over, this certain verse, but then, wow, there's a fresh revelation of something that just leaps out from the pages of God's Word to us. And... Uh, but His Word is always the same. It never contradicts itself. It's always true. His Word is always faithful. From Genesis to Revelation. And in this series that we've been dealing with about the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, I know Pastor Paul was dealing with uh, prophecy at one point. And I told my wife the other day, I said, I have got to find this prophetic word that was not just verbalized to us, but it was written down so that we could keep it and read it over and over again. And it was in her Bible. Actually, there's a couple of them, but I'm only going to read this one to you. Because this one did not make sense to us at the time. Even though we knew the missionary, female missionary, that was giving us the word back in 2012... I had no doubt she was hearing from God. She's lived a godly life. Her husband was our mentor. He passed away from cancer when he was 45. Later on, she met the superintendent of the Church of God in Western Europe, and he had lost his wife. And so after a period of courtship, they married. And so they're doing a great work for God in Brussels, Belgium, and in all of Western Europe. And she still has a ministry in Kenya, Africa. And so I knew that this was from the Lord when she began to give it. <clears throat> but it didn't quite make sense. And we were struggling, my wife and I, you know, with some things there at the church and whatnot. The church was struggling because there was another word she gave to the church, but I'm not going to read that to you tonight. Um... I just want, to, I want you to see what God can do through this word 
what he's done. Um, and you have to understand, when God gives a true prophetic word to you about the future, sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it happens four years later. Because we went from 2012 when this was given, and now we're in 2016, four years later. Here's the word she gave, October 7th, 2012, to my wife and I. The Lord said to her, Be sure I will carry you through, just as sure as I have sent you. I will sustain you and take you to higher planes in me to lead this people. Now God's talking about the church people we had at Heartland. Listen to this, to a place they've never gone. My plan will completely unfold in the days to come. My hand will guide you and give you clarity into the certainty of the future. What the enemy has meant for bad, I will use for your good. Hold fast, do not waver. An unexpected happening will reveal all. Greater will be your days ahead than what has been the past. This is not failure, but I will bring more glory to me than man would think. My son, my daughter, you I hold in my hand, and nothing can remove you. Trust me, continue to ask of me, and all shall be well. It's quite clear today, Pastor Paul, what that prophetic word was about. God has truly brought those people and my wife and I to a place we've never been before. And we are believing that the better days of our ministry are not behind us, but they're ahead of us. And we're believing that the better days of ministry for Calvary Church are not behind you, but they're ahead of you in Jesus' mighty name. I've not even read that to Pastor Mark, and uh, I don't see him in here, but uh, I'll get a chance to read it to him privately if he didn't hear it in any way. But let's get into it tonight, because I've got a lot of information to cover in a short period of time. You've got some handouts that are pretty lengthy, and it was done so on purpose, even though we're trying to cut back on the length of the outlines and whatnot, but you actually have full pages tonight. But there's things I want you to take home and study and read scriptures that go along with what we're talking about. Because we're talking about tongues and interpretation of tongues. And I had made mention of the fact that this is one of the most controversial subjects many times in Christendom. Yet it shouldn't be, especially in Pentecostalism or charismatic circles, because the scripture is very plain when it comes to all the gifts of the Spirit, and it's very plain on the gift of tongues. So there shouldn't be the controversy among, you know, Pentecostal believers, but there sure is a lot in the world about this topic tonight. They could talk to you about healing and miracles and faith and all these other gifts, but they kind of want to shy away from this tongues and interpretation of tongues. And I don't understand why, because every one of us today, when we've spoke to somebody, we were speaking in a tongue. We were speaking in an English language, one of the many dialects of the world. Let me read something to you that you may have read or may never have read about the General Council of the Assemblies of God, USA. One of the largest Pentecostal denominations in the United States was organized in 1914 
by a broad coalition of ministers who desired to work together to fulfill common objectives, such as sending missionaries and providing fellowship and accountability. Formed in the midst of the emerging worldwide Pentecostal revival, the Assemblies of God quickly took root in other countries and formed indigenous national organizations. The Assemblies of God USA is a constituent member of the World Assemblies of God Fellowship, one of the largest Pentecostal fellowships in the world. Throughout the latter half of the 19th century in the United States, Protestants from various backgrounds began to ask themselves why their churches did not seem to exhibit the same vibrant, faith-filled life as those in the New Testament. Many of these believers joined evangelical or holiness churches, engaged in ardent prayer and personal sacrifice, and earnestly sought God. Now that's the story, part of the story and history of how this all started with the Assembly of God. And, and I can tell you that with the denomination I grew up in, the Church of God, the same thing applied in the hills of North Carolina and southeastern Tennessee. It was in this context of prayer, personal sacrifice, and earnestly seeking God, in this context, that people began experiencing biblical spiritual gifts. And tonight we're going to talk about, in the last of this series, in classes here, the tongues interpretation of tongues. If you have your Bibles, or you can look on the screen for those scriptures that are up on the screen tonight, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, King James Version, verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I'm reminded that that uh, word one accord is not in a lot of other translations, and the word together is used, T-O-G-E-T-H-E-R. But if you look in your dictionary, the word together with the E also means unity. It also can denote unity. The word together with an A means you gather together in a certain place. You know, like we could all leave here and go meet somewhere and be together, but we could have all of our minds going in different directions and be wanting to do different things, or we could even be like that in church. You know, your mind could be drifting here and there. We're not all together with an E in unity. But I believe there was that unity 2,000 years ago. And it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'll stop here just by saying that someone would say, okay, since tongues were the first initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost, but the Bible says there was a sound as of rushing mighty wind, and there was like these cloven tongues as fire set upon each of them, should not we in 2016 still be experiencing those manifestations that happened 2,000 years ago? And the answer is no. The answer is no. God chose the one of the three to continue to demonstrate and to use throughout the world this 2,000 years later, and that is the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as being that sign that a person has been filled 
with the Spirit. That's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we don't have the sound of a rushing mighty wind in every service we come into, and we don't have cloven tongues like a sapphire sitting up on each everybody's head. But at times when the Spirit's moving and God wants to use someone with the gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in an unknown tongue and having an interpretation to follow, that gift is used to edify the church still yet today. I've got a dear friend who's a missionary and, and uh, travels all over the world. And in some countries they've gone to uh, where the people are very, very Pentecostal and, and just love to enter in and press in a powerful worship and praise and, and just let God have His way. They greet each other on the street, these church people, Pentecostal church people. They don't wave like this when they see you at the store or on the sidewalk. They do this. Kind of like a symbol of the you know, tongues of fire that came upon each of them 2,000 years ago. I thought that was kind of neat. So when he was preaching revival for us one time, and he got done, we all went like this to him. You know? But uh, how does the Bible deal with the subject of speaking in tongues? Number one, in the New Testament Greek, the word glossa means tongues and can be easily and properly translated languages. The Greek word glossolalia means speaking in tongues. Glossolalia, or speaking in tongues, according to linguists, is the fluid vocalizing of speech-like syllables that lack any readily comprehended meaning. In some cases, as part of religious practice in which it is believed to be a divine language unknown to the speaker. And literally, that's much of what we're discussing tonight, an unknown language, a language you didn't learn in college, a language you didn't learn in high school. But it's a heavenly language that God imparts, that gives you the syllables and the things to say as you pay attention to what's going on in your spirit, and then you open up your mouth and you speak what you're hearing in your spirit, man. It means speaking various languages, different languages, languages that have not been learned. One of the most controversial, most often misunderstood practices related to Pentecostal believers, glossolalia, or speaking in tongues, in this regard, some people have called it gibberish, the speaking of words that mean nothing. Yet, when this phenomena occurs by the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand these words do have meaning. But there needs to be an interpretation when it's the gift of tongues and the message of tongues. We're going to talk about a different tongue in a minute because the Bible does say that there are diverse kinds or different or various kinds of tongues. They're not all the same. And so we have to distinguish between those. Now, there are around 6,500 languages spoken on planet Earth today. No single person, regardless of how smart they are, how educated, can have perfect understanding of even 25 of these 6,500 languages. Some people are able to speak two or three we call them bilingual or trilingual. Some maybe even have mastered a dozen languages. But 6,500? Only God knows each of those 6,500 languages perfectly. Can you say amen? Because God is God. And He created all the languages. And He created all the people that speak those languages. So... God is not just limited to moving in America, but He can move all over the world because He can understand everybody 
and their prayer life and their praise life and how they talk in those various languages. Speaking in tongues is a subject that the Bible addresses in many different places. Some examples, Isaiah 28, 10 through 12. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips, now listen to how Isaiah the prophet spoke this several years, you know, hundreds of years before the infilling of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary rest. And this is the refreshing, here's the sad part, yet they would not hear. Or basically he's saying they would not have any part of it. You know people like that today, don't you? They won't have any part of a Pentecostal church. They think we Pentecostals are mad. Madly in love with Jesus. They think we Pentecostals are nuts. Well, yeah, we are, but we're screwed onto the right bolt. They think you're off your rocker. If you speak in an unknown tongue that they can't understand, you know, you're not speaking in Spanish that they learned in school or, or German or whatever. And then Mark 16, 17, Jesus talking about, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. There's two things that they'll do. The Bible also says they'll lay hands on the sick, and they what? Shall recover. That's part of the gifts of the Spirit, you know, healing, miracles, faith. But casting out devils, we kind of go, I don't want to go there. Well, guess what? I believe in these last days, there's more demon-possessed people than there were 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the shores of Galilee. I really do. I believe that's why some of our institutions are filled with people is because they had given themselves over to demonic possession sometime in their life, and now they're just totally out of their mind. Now, not everybody. Some people in these institutions have legitimate mental problems and situations. But I've been to some of these institutions. When we pastored in Lincoln, and that particular place was operable, our ladies did breakfast, and I would be volunteered to deliver the breakfast over there. And some of the sights that I saw when I go in there, it just brought chills all over me to see the condition those people are in. You need to thank God tonight that you're in your right mind. You really do. Acts 2, 4, of course, we already read it, but it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word utterance is a word that just simply means the ability to speak what it is the Holy Spirit is having you to speak. Because you are the speaker. He's not the speaker. You're the speaker. He's using your vocal cords. He's using your voice. But He gives you the direction or the utterance, the ability to speak as the Spirit moves upon your life. Either in your private devotions or in public worship. Acts 10, 44-47 was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles. While Peter yet spake these words, he's preaching, you see, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them, not a few, but all them that heard the word. 
Verse 45 said that they were of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now let me ask you because unless you're born a a full-blooded Jew, everybody in here is considered a Gentile then. Are you not glad that salvation first of all came to the Gentiles? Are you also not glad that the Holy Spirit was given unto the Gentiles? Amen. Praise God. For they heard them speak with tongues, verse 46, these Gentiles, and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water, in other words, water baptism, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. So they had received the Holy Spirit baptism before they were baptized in water. In other instances, we can see in the Bible where they were baptized in water first, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, there's not a particular way that that has to be done, it all depends on the yielded heart of the person. If they're really ready to receive the Holy Ghost, they might receive the Holy Ghost baptism before they're baptized in water, before the opportunity is given to be baptized, they could be baptized in the Holy Spirit first. But we always should always, always, always teach that new converts need to be baptized as quickly as possible. Now I want to share a little bit of a sad story with you. It really doesn't have anything to do right now with tongues, but a young lady came to our altar at Jefferson Street Sunday morning and she gave her heart to the Lord. Now, several months ago, out on a campground site, I had the privilege of uniting her, who I really didn't know very well, but I united her with a young man that I did know very well. The parents came to our church for all these years and he had attended our church as well. And I'm going to leave names out, but this young lady came Sunday morning. And she was over on this side of the altar. And I called up our prayer team members. And my wife was there, and Sister Dixie Stout, and Diana Grimes. And they were praying for her. And Peavies were over here praying for some other people. And this young lady started just bawling and crying. And she gave her heart to the Lord. I want you to pray for her. I will tell you her name, first name. Her name's Lana. The next day, I think it was, is that right? The next day, her sister drops dead in Florida, is it? Drops dead from seizures in Florida. Now, you can just imagine what that can do to this young lady. Either she is going to begin to think more about her own mortality and eternal life, or she'll get angry with God and not come back to church. So now it's up to me as a pastor, it's up to others who care for people to reach out to her and make sure that she keeps in, keeps coming and grows in the Lord and most of all realizes that that's how quick life can be over for anybody. So pray for Lana when you pray, would you please? So then we go to Acts 19, 1 through 7. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That lets us know right there. It's a separate experience from salvation. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. In other words, nobody come by yet that knew anything about the Holy Ghost or was filled with the Holy Ghost themselves to preach to them and tell them about the Holy Ghost, these Ephesus believers. Verse 3, He said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism, in other words, baptism in water. Then said Paul 
John verily baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. You see how many times in these verses the word tongues is being used? See how many times? You can count them for yourself when you, you get home sometimes. See how many you got. I didn't even have time to count them all, but there's a lot of times. And it says all the men were about 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and the gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. A variety of types of tongues. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. In other words, though I speak in my natural earthly language, and though I speak with the tongues that come from heaven, which is angelics in type and style, or languages that we don't know and we haven't learned, but I don't have charity or I don't have love, then Paul says, I become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, I've demonstrated this before when preaching on the Holy Spirit. And I would walk over, I'm not going to do it tonight, but I would walk over to my son's drums, and uh, I'd take a drumstick, and I'd start banging on the cymbal, just banging away. I love, I love a good drummer. My son's a great drummer. God's blessed him. But I love to hear the drums with other instruments. When, they first got, when he first got his first drum set, we pastored in Lincoln, Dan, and we had a little room off of the kitchen. It was a laundry room. And the young lady that we got to know in Brookport, when we passed her down there in our first church, she bought this old used drum set for Brent. And we, didn't, we lived right next to the church, but he was too young right then to go over to the church and be by himself. I think he was like six or seven. So we put him right there in that laundry room. <laughs> He'd come home from school. And all I could hear was boom, boom. Well, I guess you can imagine how long it took for us to decide he was old enough to go next door to the church and play his heart away with those drums. We lock him in and he just, he played. So he learned at an early age. But that's what Paul's saying. This is all encompassing around L-O-V-E, love, with all the gifts. And, and Paul's saying, you know, even if I could speak with tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm become like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And if you just start doing that tonight, if I went over there or had somebody come up and just do it and tried to teach to you, you'd just go, oh man, this is confusing, this is crazy. You wouldn't like it at all. And so we've got to have love, 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 love. 1 Corinthians 14, 18 through 19, I thank my God, Paul said, I speak with tongues more than y'all. Now, you know I'm using the King James Version here, right? And so here we can tell, I try to use a little humor in my sermons and classes every now and then. Pastor Paul does a good job with that too. And you know what? Paul was a southerner. I think I speak in tongues more than y'all. More than y'all. 
So it said the King James, he was Southern. Yet in the church, he said, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown or an unintelligible tongue. But we don't, we're not going to just leave that alone there. We're going to come to something else in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 14, 39-40, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy, here's one, and forbid not to speak with tongues. Okay? Covet that gift of prophecy, because like Paul said, it's very, very important. But don't forbid to speak with tongues. And then it says 40, verse 40, Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, does the Bible have anything to say about the use of other languages in the church? The answer is a resounding yes. Number two, how are tongues manifested in the New Testament? The New Testament reveals two primary ways tongues may be used in the church. Number one is private devotion, or what is called sometimes our devotional language. Uh, tongues as private devotion may take on several characteristics. And we have to remember, in devotional tongues, we are speaking in tongues directly to God. When I speak in my devotional tongue, I'm not talking to you. I'm not speaking to you. I'm not giving a message of tongues to the church that needs an interpretation. It's simply a worship time and a praise time in a heavenly language directly from my heart to God. The first characteristic is the initial evidence, of course, of the devotional tongue when they were filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts 2.4. And then uh, Acts 10.44 while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They were receiving their devotional language or their prayer language when they were being filled. And verse 45, and they were the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now the second characteristic is praying in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Therefore, you're praying unto God, but you don't know what you're saying to God. But if it's truly, you're praying in the Spirit, let me tell you, it is a perfect prayer. When you're praying in the Spirit, like he's talking about here, it is a perfect prayer. Though you don't know what you're saying, God does. And he has a way of answering those prayers. Um, so that's the second characteristic, praying in the Spirit. Third characteristic is singing in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. A while ago when Pastor Dan was leading us, we were singing with the understanding. The Holy Spirit didn't move upon anybody tonight to sing those songs in tongues. But I have sung a song or two in tongues over my lifetime. And my mother, my, my dear mother, I can remember a few times in church services where she would be singing a hymn in the English language with her understanding, but the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she starts singing that same song in tongues. Now, there's no confusion in that. That's things being done decently in order. Because guess what? Nobody else singing in the understanding ever stopped singing. If it was when the roll is called up yonder, everybody kept singing those English words, but my mother was singing the same melody, only in tongues. And not real loud, but maybe just two or three people around her could hear. And it was beautiful. And then she might sing for just a little while, but then would go right back into singing, then in the English language, with her understanding. So it's a beautiful thing. And then... Uh, 
Fourth characteristic is praising in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 16, Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, or praise with the Spirit, or with tongues, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say a man at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Finally, tongues as private devotion are for personal edification. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The second primary way tongues are manifested through a believer in the New Testament is for public edification. Public edification, a message um, that is followed by an interpretation. That brings public edification. If there's a message in tongues, it's truly a message in tongues, not devotional, but a message in tongues, not singing in tongues, but a message in tongues, then God is wanting to speak something to the church and then there needs to be an interpretation in the language of the people so the church can be edified. We all agree and understand that so we can all understand what it is God is saying to the church body. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 10b, to another diverse kinds of tongues. This is the diff- another different kind of tongue, the, the message of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. This public edification comes through tongues and the interpretation of tongues in the worship setting. And... The message of tongues and the interpretation of tongues have to work together. And there's a course by which that works, by two or by three, and if there's no interpretation after the third, then that person is to keep silent and bless the Lord unto themselves. But when a true message of tongues comes out from someone that God chooses to use, it will always be sort of boisterous and will interrupt everything that's going on. If music is playing, the musicians will bring the music all the way down completely and not play. Or sometimes I've heard them play just real soft, real softly. And a message of tongues come out. And it's at, it's at that time when the, the saints of God need to be praying, God, give us the interpretation. And even that person, do you know that you can do Two things at once. Well, some of you can. By the looks, I can do two things. I can walk and chew gum at the same time. When God has used me to give a message in tongues, as I was speaking in an unknown language, also in my spirit I was hearing English words come to me because it's also scriptural. The Bible says that the one who speaks that message in tongues also pray that he may interpret or she may interpret. But it's not unscriptural for, say, me to give a message in tongues and somebody on the back row, you know, for God to use them to give the interpretation. But in order for the church to be edified, those two gifts must work together for public edification. Thirdly, what are the purposes of different kinds of tongues? The following list identifies a few of the benefits of tongues for the believer. And you can read these scriptures for yourself at home, but let me run through them real quick. I think you have it there on your nose. Number one, uh, what is it that different kinds of tongues, what are the purposes? A means of experiencing rest. We already read that scripture in Isaiah. Number two, a fulfillment of prophecy. Number three, confirmation of the word. Number four, evidence of the complete ascension and glorification of Jesus. Because he said, if I don't go away, if I don't leave you, this comforter cannot come. 
Number five, initial evidence of an experience in the Holy Ghost. Number six, preaching in different languages. Acts 2, 6-14. Number seven, intercessory prayer. Communication between God and the church. Number nine, intimacy with God. Number ten, personal edification. Number eleven, the edification of the church. Number twelve, assigned to the unbeliever. But, well, that's kind of odd. You know, we got 12 different reasons why, you know, there could be more, but I just like the fact that there's 12 there because it reminds me there were 12 apostles, you know. And uh, in that one place with the Ephesus church, there were about 12 men who, when they had their, uh, the apostle laid his hands upon them, they received the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues. So, uh, God has a lot of different numbers throughout the Scripture. They're very meaningful. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, they all have meaning. So does 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh, don't have time to get into that tonight. But This list demonstrates there are purposes of tongues other than just speaking tongues in a public service or what many people call the prayer language. The last of all, number four, what are principles regarding interpretation of tongues? This will be a little short, perhaps, but here it is. A direct message in tongues given by the Spirit's utterance through a spirit-filled believer, requires the interpretation by the Spirit through that individual or another person. Here are some more scriptures that you can read at home about the Holy Spirit and the interpretation. This gift of interpretation is spontaneous, and it is initiated by the Holy Spirit, just like all the other gifts are initiated by the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, gives out the gifts to whom he will. Um, Next of all, the same person who speaks in tongues may also interpret the message or someone else may interpret 1 Corinthians 14.3. Please, please, you know, take this material home and, and check out these scriptures. Read them for yourself. You know, if you have any questions or doubts or anything at all, we don't want you to be in confusion or doubt trying to make this as clear as I know how tonight with the help of the Holy Spirit. But that's why there's so many scriptures. I told them in the office today, I said, I'll try not to do this again, but I said, ending this up on tongues and interpretation of tongues, there's so much scripture. And then I want people to have it for themselves, be able to read it for themselves, and study it for themselves at home as well. Also, interpretation is not a translation of the statement in tongues. You understand that, 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Interpretation of tongues is not a translation of the statement that's being made in tongues. That explains why sometimes, and if you've been around Pentecost very long at all, and you've heard people give messages, that's why sometimes the message in tongues may be a very few number of words, but its interpretation may be a whole paragraph in English or the language of the people, or more. I've heard people give just a short, brief message in tongues, but yet the interpretation sent by the Holy Spirit might have lasted a minute or two. You know, the the Lord says this, 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 and this. And that's because languages are different. If you go to some places in the world and you hear somebody speak in tongues, in their native tongue, they may say only a few syllables, but it means it's a whole sentence in their language. You know, in the English language, you know, we start out with certain words and we we make a whole sentence or a whole paragraph and that's just the way it is. I can't just tell you three words and you understand that it's a whole sentence or a whole paragraph. 
But in some languages, that's the way their language is. Um, and the last of all, that's why the Holy Spirit calls this an interpretation of tongues, not a word-for-word translation of tongues. Let me say that again in closing. That's why the Holy Spirit calls this an interpretation. This gift is an interpretation of tongues, but not a word-for-word translation. And so what somebody speaks in an unknown tongue, whether that tongue be uh, German, Spanish, French, or, or whatever, because God does use the 6,500 different dialects in services, in large meetings or in small meetings. He'll use those sometimes, and people will speak a, a tongue they didn't learn, and, and God then will give the interpretation. And somebody will go to them after the service is over and say, I didn't know you knew how to speak German. And that person says, I don't. Well, that's supernatural. God gives the Spirit, the Spirit gives that person the ability to speak in perfect German just for a season, just for time, as they give a message in tongues, and it's a sign to the unbeliever, and then the prophetic word or the interpretation comes forth, and the whole church is edified. And then those who know the story about the fact that the person didn't know a lick of German, they go, wow, that can only be God. And then they say, wow, backwards. Stand to your feet. That could only be God. You know, I hear it raining outside. If there's ever been a time that the church needs Holy Ghost rain to fall, it's today. I want to close with just this statement. God, in His infinite wisdom and knowledge, God, being totally sovereign, if He knew, and He did, that the power of the Holy Spirit was necessary to birth the church and to propel the early church forward. And God, knowing all things, knew the early church was going to face persecution and many would die because of their faith. If God knew the Holy Spirit was needful 2,000 years ago to start this thing, don't you think God realizes that the Holy Spirit is still needful in 2016, in the last days, to keep us strong, to keep us faithful, to keep us steadfast, to keep us away from the things that are wrong and give us power for service? Don't you believe that? I believe with all my heart. I don't believe God is going to give one group, even the early church, a blessing, a gift that is apart from salvation to that church and then leave the last day church without the same power. It wouldn't make any sense then we could say God's a respecter of people. That He was a respecter of the early church, but He doesn't really care for the latter-day church that much. That's not the way it is. He loved the early church, and He loves the last-day church. He empowered the early church, and He wants to empower the last-day church. And I'm here to tell you tonight, church, after reading that prophecy again from that dear lady, friend of ours, four years ago given, I am believing, and I'm walking in the truth of that prophetic word that our days are better today and, and, and tomorrow than they were in the past. Amen? 
And God wants you to understand the same thing in your life tonight too. We have all failed God at some point or time in our life. But you know what? Failure is not final. Hallelujah. Failure is not final. And God's delays sometimes to our prayers are not God's denials. It's all about His timing. My wife came up with a statement when we pastored in Pekin, and she made somebody crocheted her a plaque of this, and then Big Mo, a good friend, singer-songwriter, evangelist of ours, wrote a song about it. She said simply these words after church one night to somebody, and Mo picked up on it. It's not in our time, but it's in God's time. But in the meantime. And that's where we live most of our lives, is in the meantime waiting on the Lord to answer. And He always does. The Lord always says either yes to your prayer, no, or wait a while. Bow your heads with us. Father, tonight, God, as we come to the end of this series and we come to the end of this class tonight, I thank You for the presence of Your Holy Spirit that that I know that, that we sensed in this place as we were worshiping in song tonight, oh, about all those reasons why, should, why we should bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. As the psalmist said, and all, not just a little bit, but all that is within me, bless His holy name. Lord, I, I ask God that You'll take all of the seeds from the Word of God through this series about powering up that have been sown into the lives of your people through Pastor Mark, through Pastor Paul, through myself. I I pray, God, that you would take these seeds and, Lord, that they would just so find that uh, place in our heart where they will grow and grow and grow. And, and God, that we'll be the Spirit-filled people that you'd have us to be doing all things decently and in order. But we do need your power. As the early church needed your power, we need your power. Move us forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I am believing that you're going to fill this church. You're going to fill this church at Hazeldale in the morning services to overflowing and in the second service to overflowing. You're doing a work on Jefferson Street. It's even far greater than what we thought it might be to begin with. And you're doing a mighty work and people are coming in, new people, every Sunday. And I just give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' name. And would everybody here tonight just put your ten-stringed instruments together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise for what He's doing right now and what He's going to do by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. God bless you.